This is Trice Talk, mini-pod for a Saturday night, August the 21st, 2021, and I'm your host, Donald Wayne. Mini-pod, that gap filler between episodes of Trice Talk, a mini-version, if you will, of our regular show where I limit the subjects and the time for the show itself. Sometimes. As if you've listened in the past, you know. <laughs> hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out this episode of Minipod. It's um, Saturday night in Atlanta, Georgia. I hope everybody had a uh, nice day today, at least as nice as possible. We got a hurricane uh, on its way to uh, Long Island and uh, parts of New England. Uh, I think they said it may make landfall tomorrow. I haven't actually looked on the radar uh, in the last five or six hours, but uh, it's headed that way. And uh, so it's going to be a rough time for those folks up there in, in that area of the country for some time because there's so many trees up there that high winds of the nature that's going to accompany this this storm um, is probably going to knock power out for uh a pretty long period of time, according to some estimates. Also, uh, Donald Trump, as far as I know, he had his uh, his live meeting over there in Coleman, Alabama tonight. Um, I have not seen anything about it on the news, but um, hopefully we'll get some details tomorrow. I know the weather was kind of dicey in Alabama today with a lot of storms moving through. So I hope that they were able to pull this thing off tonight. I got a feeling, though, unless it's just, you know, constant crashing of lightning and and uh, threats of tornadoes and stuff. I don't think that's going to deter the Trump supporters, the people that wanted to go. Uh, Dennis Lee and I had tentatively planned to go a few weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, we were even talking about it. Uh, I had gotten... Uh, I registered to go, but uh, really wasn't able to, at the last minute, wasn't able to make that trip. But we're hoping that Donald Trump will make it to Georgia sometime before the uh, before late next year. I, I got a feeling he'll be coming here trying to boost some Republican candidates running for office here in Georgia. So uh, 
we're kind of hoping for that. That'll be a little easier for us to attend. So uh, anyway, a lot going on in the country. Uh, tonight, I'm, I'm going to limit myself to uh, one particular subject, and it's uh, I'm going to share an article with you that I discovered because of Mike Huckabee's Morning Edition newsletter, which uh, today's newsletter for August the 21st, Saturday. And first, I'm going to share Huckabee's brief description of the article, and then I will uh, share the article that it references with you which uh, is diversity is not our strength and the lie is deliberate. The article is by Christopher Bedford as uh, published in the Federalist. Bedford is a senior editor at the Federalist and the vice chairman of Young Americans for Freedom, a board member at the National Journalism Center and author of The Art of Donald which that would be Trump, not this Donald. <laughs> I don't know that they would write that book. I don't know that that would be, uh, I don't know if that'd be a hot seller on the New York Times list. Anyway, so let me go to Huckabee's comments first, and then I will move over to the, uh, to the article that he's referencing. Uh, let me get this on the right, yep, on the right thing here. So, and again, I usually talk about uh, when I use articles from Mike Huckabee's newsletters, uh, he'll, he'll reference usually four or five, maybe six different articles. And sometimes he'll have a couple of paragraphs about, you know, kind of uh, stage you for uh, the article that he's referencing. And he'll offer his own take on a few of the things from the article, just in case you don't get to read it. Um, so I'm going to read that first and his, his section is titled thought provoking article and Huckabee writes, Christopher Bedford at the Federalist and young Americans for freedom has a thought provoking article that's worth reading during your spare time this weekend. It examines a saying that's become a mantra, something most people would never think to question or would be afraid to diversity is our strength. Bedford makes it clear that he's not criticizing diversity itself. He acknowledges the great contributions people of all different backgrounds bring and how the different skills, experiences, and viewpoints we all bring to the table can complement each other. But is the simple fact that America is multicultural and has all different kinds of people really what makes us strong? He argues that America's real strength is not simply that we're different, or that we tolerate differences, but all the things we have to, that unify so many diverse people in common interest. For example, our national anthem, a common language, our history, the Constitution, a faith in God, just to name a few. Now look at that list again. Aside from the unifying all Americans, what else do those things have in common? In recent years, every one of them has been under heavy assault by the left. I might toss in a few more, like our faith in the honesty of the election process and our beliefs in free speech, a colorblind society, and a capitalist system that offers equal opportunity for everyone 
but not guaranteed e uh, equality of outcomes or equity as it is now known. Bedford argues that the left is trying to tear these things down because they know it is not our differences, but the things we have in common that really make us stronger. And they want to make America weaker. If you question that, look back at the string of disastrous decisions made by President Biden that in just seven months have left America weaker on nearly every front. From an open border run by drug cartels to begging OPEC for oil to the resurgence of the Taliban to the aggression of China or to the loss of respect for America by our allies. As another commentator recently pointed out, it's hard to imagine anyone making so many decisions that harmed America so badly and so swiftly unless it was intended. And then Mike Huckabee uh, suggests that you read the whole article. All right, and I'm going to do that for you right now if you choose to listen to this whole podcast. I am trying to switch over here. That one didn't work. All right, bear with me. Nope. Why is that not letting me do that? I do not know, Margot. All right, so we're going to have to do this another way. Let's see if it'll let me click in. Ah, that worked. All right. So this is the article by Christopher Bedford. Diversity is not our strength, and the lie is deliberate, as published in The Federalist. I will be posting this article, too, after the show on Facebook. So if you do not make it through the entire thing with me, you can check it out on Facebook at your leisure. I think there's actually, a, looks, it says here, there's a monologue version of this article that you can find. Do, 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 do. Well, I'll post it, and uh, you can reference that. I think it's, uh, okay. All right. He writes, diversity is our strength. You've heard it over and over again, and it seems simple enough. It doesn't matter if it's not true. It's a basic feel-goodism, the kind of phrase that adorns the kitschy signs Bed Bath & Beyond sells for people to hang in their kitchen. A live, laugh, love sort of thing, if only. Rather, in America today, diversity is our strength is a commanding ethos. It governs the minds of the Joint Chiefs. It informs the decisions of our top policymakers. It drives the campaigns of the political left. It animates the activities of the activist left. And it's scribbled on the chalkboards of our children's schools. The idea is not entirely without merit, and there's a case to be made for the whole thing, even if the case is fatally flawed which it is. Men and women, for example, need each other, despite what some women might have heard. Our differences complement each other, literally, perfectly. The young grow stronger from the wisdom and leadership of the old. 
while the old benefit from the strength and vitality and energy of the young. The warrior needs the philosopher if the warrior is to be at his best, and the philosopher needs the warrior to guard the philosopher's peace. The soldiers fighting right now to bring their Afghan interpreters to America before they're murdered by the Taliban can tell you a lot about the diversity of language, culture, and understanding those brave men who brought to their units and how it saved American lives over and over again. Police officers patrolling an inward-facing neighborhood suspicious of outsiders benefit from colleagues who are from that community and therefore better understand and interact with its members. Anyone who has raised or helped to raise a severely handicapped person knows that person needs them, but also maybe that they have been made better for it, more kind, more industrious, more caring, more understanding, more loving. But is that all it takes, being different? Would a kid in a wheelchair, a skateboard punk, a nerd, an explorer, a tomboy, an older black kid, an older Hispanic kid, and a dog with a helmet make the perfect team? Maybe, but probably not, at least based solely on that description. Would they make a perfect Burger King kids club? Well, they might, but how? What would bring them together? Do the things that make them different also unite them? Yes, if you believe the simpleton slogans of the modern left, but in reality, the answer is no. Not one of those fictitious kids is brought together and made stronger simply because of his differences. Rather, it is their shared values and purpose or the things that are the same rather than those that are different or diverse that unite them, bind them, and make them a club. In this case, it's being kids who love adventure and cheeseburgers. These are what make them the Burger King Kids Club. In real life, the differences between men and women can make us much weaker just see the STD rate at the villages or Texas Tech. Or joking aside, look at the global ravages of pornography and human trafficking or the packed orphanages and abandoned women left behind a long military occupation. But brought together in a loving family with shared values and commitments, together we create the essential building blocks of society. We all get stronger. The same goes for the young and the old, the able and the disabled. They must be brought together first in shared purpose and not simply left to manipulate or abuse the other, as is often the case when a stronger governing principle is not present to overcome the differences in age, ability, and cunning. The warrior and philosopher must be united in their love of their country and its people through a commitment to duty and shared sacrifice. We felt for 20 long years what happens when the philosophers aren't governed by the right ideas. 
Similarly, many brave military men and women have died led astray by locals who did not share their mission. And many neighborhoods have been let down and police forces weakened when fitness, intelligence, and commitment to law and order are treated as secondary to identity politics. Because far from a strength, diversity in and of itself is at best a feature and more often a weakness. For centuries past, successful military leaders understood this so implicitly they'd make their men wear the same uniforms, sleep in the same bunks or holes, share the same food, often follow the same grooming, and always answer to the same drills and the same orders at the same time. They made them one, a unit, and that made them stronger. Today, those who preach the gospels of diversity, be it multiculturalism, critical race theory, or any other novel heresy, don't care about what unifies us. Often they resent it and instead actively promote what makes us different. Many times they work to actively divide us. And it's working. In 2004, 74% of white Americans and 68% of black Americans told Gallup that race relations in America were good. That was in 2004. This year, those numbers are 43% and 33% respectively. It turns out that a decade and a half of relentlessly racial, racializing every issue in American politics just made everyone feel less happy less trusting, less like they are part of a unified American whole. Our differences without unifying mores and an anthem, a language, a border, a history, or a constitution, a faith in God, make us weak. And this is deadly. Roger Scruton, one of the finest philosophers of the past half century explained the danger succinctly in the stirring and controversial BBB, too many B's there, sorry, BBB, so great, BBC, thank you very much, documentary, Rivers of Blood. This is an excerpt from that documentary. All of us need an identity which unites us with our neighbors, our countrymen, those people who are subject to the same rules and the same laws as us, those people with whom we might one day have to fight side by side to protect our inheritance, those people with whom we will suffer when attacked, those people whose destinies are in some way tied up with our own. So that's from Rivers of Blood. Back to the article. So why would they preach otherwise? The correct answer, sadly, is the simplest. To make us weaker. The left is obsessed with making us weaker. A strong, unified, united America is, in their minds, a great evil. They love that a strong, united America once smashed fascism. That's okay in their minds. But the patriotism, the religious values, 
the martial order, the industry, the mining, the things that propel us to victory, they don't want those. They think it was just Rosie the Riveter girl, power liberation, or Mexican immigrants manning the jobs or boys left behind. Both of those contributed to the war effort, no doubt. But they contributed far more in the myth of World War II, the left prefers over the reality. In the 1940s, we were a strong country and remembered the professional left hates our past. We know that because they tell us. Their hatred of a strong American continues today. You might have noticed a strange statement last week coming from Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor to the White House. It started out simple enough, higher gasoline cost. If left unchecked, risk harming the ongoing global recovery. Makes sense. But that's where it got weird. And in the following two paragraphs, Jay got on his knees and begged OPEC to sell us more oil. Remember OPEC? The ring of Arab oil producing countries currently led by the Saudis? They're in the news every now and then when they make demands in return for satiating America and the world's endless oil addiction. A couple of things stand out here. For one, why do we need oil from OPEC right now? It's not 1973 anymore. When President Joe Biden came into office, we were energy self-reliant. The Trump administration had seen to that, but since coming into our into office, our new president canceled all future contracts on federal lands and scuttled the Keystone Pipeline, which would have brought oil from Canada and supplied 11,000 American jobs in the process. Why did they scuttle the pipeline? They claimed it was for global, global warming purposes, to fight climate change and such. That's all good and great, but nothing about this actually reduces our need for oil. So here we are, seven months later, begging a cabal of Islamic fundamentalists to sell us more of it. Does it really make a difference to the atmosphere if the oil is pumped in foreign deserts versus the American heartland? Or how about the pumping of it in Russia? That's where the Nord Stream 2 pipeline begins, snaking all the way into Germany. The Biden administration removed Trump-era sanctions on it, allowing energy to flow into Europe in exchange for money flowing to the Kremlin. So we're fine with Saudi oil and, and we're fine with Russian oil. Apparently it's just Canadian oil, finished in American factories that we cannot abide. It's almost like this isn't about global warming at all. So what is it? Are we against American workers? Are we trying to punish the working class? Seems a stretch. Are we just lying to naive environmentalist voters? Well, yes, but there's something else here, and it's our elite's distrust of America and their fervent wish for us to be at the mercy of the world. That way, we can be nice players in the global community. That way, things can become equitable. 
This former Senator Jim DeMint wrote last week is a design feature, not a flaw of the socialist plan. They want us dependent on others. The socialist left doesn't believe in borders, sovereignty, independence, or the American way of life. It's why they hated America first then, and it's why they hate America last now. I'm sorry. It's why they, they're America last now. Got a little worked up on that one. They won't stop. They're committed. So long as we are strong, they cannot win. But there's a snag in their plan, and it's that we are a strong people, often united, who can once again be healed. You can see it in the Americans who don donated more than $30 million to Barstool Sports, fund for businesses damaged by coronavirus lockdowns. $30 million. You can see it in the joy of Olympian Tamira Menashe Stock, who after winning a gold medal used her moments to say how much she loved living in America. I went into a trance and God just spoke through me, she later said. I know there's a lot of negativity going on and I just want to enlighten people of my feelings to spread positivity and it happened. And you can see it in the crowds of people all over the country who are turning out to demand that their public schools be kept free of mind-destroying racist poison. In Loudoun County, Virginia, hundreds of parents turned out and the terrified school board declared a riot rather than face them. In Philadelphia, a Chinese immigrant mother compared the new race politics to the cultural revolution she remembered in China the one where students were taught to hate and kill their teachers, their bosses, their religious leaders, and even their parents. In Florida, there was a black mother, Keisha King, who pointed out how racist it is to teach any ideology that declares some races to be perpetual oppressors and others to be perpetual victims. A lot of these folks aren't very political. They definitely aren't the same. Tea Party activists from a decade ago these are Americans who don't want their country to be torn apart by hate. And if we stand with them and understand what the left is doing and why, we may save this nation yet. Most Democrats and liberals don't think about a lot of these things. In reality, only a relatively small uh, cadre of Americans are ideologically compelled to hate this country. Hate white people. Hate Christians and hate straight men. But they are a vocal minority and their voices dominate our society at every single level. But remember, the Russian Revolution didn't succeed because the majority of the country took arms against the czars for Bolshevism. And the American Revolution didn't succeed because the majority of the country fought to overthrow the British and declare independence. In both cases, as in most, loud and fanatically committed minorities changed the world. And it could happen here. But there are weaknesses. For one, their ideas don't work. And for another, they habitually overreach. Combine these two weaknesses might have awakened the American public, and no revolution can succeed without at least the tolerance of the communities from which it is launched. 
evil ideas doomed to fail will fail, but they can destroy whole countries before they do. Let's not let that happen to us because our world, our inheritance, and our children's inheritance is right here, right now. And it needs to survive. All right. Like I said, I'll be posting that on Facebook if you'd like to read the, if you'd like to see it in print and uh, maybe check out that video that it's referencing up there. I haven't tried that yet, but um, I think it's a powerful article. I think it summarizes a lot of things that are going on right now. And I, I really like uh, his argument about the oil. The oil, what Biden did by shutting down the pipeline and canceling the leases in this country and now turning around and asking Saudi Arabia or asking OPEC to provide more oil, it doesn't make sense. And he made a point that I don't think I've heard anybody make on on uh, any of the news programs. How is it that oil, how is it okay for us to use oil at the current rate just because we get it from OPEC rather than produce it here ourselves? That alone, that statement alone tells you that there's something else at work something else in the plan in this country for the Democrats and Joe Biden and, and all of his handlers and all the people involved in making these decisions. There's something else at work because that statement itself tells you what he did with the pipeline doesn't make sense. He hurt America. He hurt American jobs with the, uh, under the premise that, if it's for environmental issues, but yet we're still going to need to use the same amount of oil. We'll just have to pay more for it. And we have to get it from someone else that enriches them and their culture, their society, their country and hurts us. So I think it was a great article. I, uh, I encourage you to read it again if you did not get all of the meaning as I just went through it. All right. I want to thank you for listening and downloading this episode of um, Minipod. If you like this or any of the Tristalk family podcasts, please be sure to follow us. Hit that follow button, if you will, on whatever uh, medium you're using to listen to this podcast. Um, I'll be back tomorrow night with Dennis Lee for Sunday night, uh, Trice talk. And, um, I hope you will join us tomorrow night. Also, I've a Monday night show. I've got a couple of things I want to share with you, um, that I have not shared so far. And uh, some of it may be some good news. So, uh, Please make a note to join me for Monday night's mini pod. Uh, until then, I encourage you to keep your eyes open and your mind sharp. Stay safe, everybody.
white horses and ladies by the score, all dressed in satin and waiting by the door. They made up his bed, a gold-covered mattress on which he was led. Of his honor and his glory.